happy Pediatric Feeding Disorder Awareness Month, everyone. Can we like shout that from the mountaintops? Happy Pediatric Feeding Disorder Awareness Month. Uh, so I, I can think of no other way to share my gratitude than to open this episode up with, we're here today because of Feeding Matters. We're here today because of interprofessional practice. We're here today because the leaders in interprofessional practice first started out as students, as residents, as clinical fellows, as they sought, fought, and deep-dived into interprofessional education. Pediatric feeding disorder is more than a silo clinician can carry on their shoulders. We have to be open to the unknown. We have to be the swallow detective. And y'all, today's guest is none other than Barbara Coven Ellis. And she is also known on Instagram as um, at slp.swallowdetective. And I love her private practices, chasing unicorns, because that's what we do. So with my whole heart, I hope today, I hope every episode this month fills you with the zest to go be a swallow detective, to go chase these kids' unicorns, to find their narwhals, to, to work collaboratively. Barbara, thank you. Feeding Matters, ah, thank you. Hi folks, and welcome to First Bite, Fed, Fun, and Functional, a speech therapy podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina, and I guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate by way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields. Or, as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy joy and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee by way of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig 
brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Okay, everybody, I am absolutely honored and humbled to kick off Pediatric Feeding Disorder Awareness Month for 2023 with none other than the author of Tyler Takes a Taste, A Boy and His Family's Journey Through Picky Eating and Feeding Disorders by Barbara Coven Ellis. And if y'all y'all don't know her, I would highly recommend, I'm going to go ahead and do it now, checking her out on social media. She's slp.swallowdetective. And She's genuinely just a beautiful human and a beautiful soul. And she just, she just gets it. So honestly, Barbara and I met years ago when she reached out through social media and she offered to send me her book and I got it and I loved it. And then I bought a second one because I got it off of the Amazon, (laughs) the Amazon, and I kept it at the clinic for the students to read through. And it's all about a little boy who faces his fear and he takes a taste. And sometimes that's, that's the biggest hurdle is overcoming that first step for our little ones with pediatric feeding disorder, because they have such ingrained trauma that that first step is, is the hardest one. And so if you're looking for a beautiful way to honor this month, first and foremost, go support Feeding Matters. Huzzah, because that's what we're here for. Thank you for Pediatric Feeding Disorder Awareness Month. But then go pick up a copy of this book and add it to one of your resources. But also, Erin and I, (laughs) this is fabulous. Erin and I were like walking down a rainy, cold night in November in New Orleans. And all of a sudden we hear, Michelle, Erin, and like, you know, I'm worried about like getting mugged because it's New Orleans. And we turn around and it was Barbara. <laughs> and so like I start squealing and Erin's like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and it was perfect. And we got a rainy, cold, wet selfie. And it was amazing and wonderful and delightful. So Barbara, thank you for shouting and flagging us down and meeting in person. Hi. <laughs> Hello, and thank you so much for inviting me. Oh my gosh, I, I'm just so honored to be here. <laughs> and I, I was afraid that you were going to think I was a mugger. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm an SLP. <laughs> well, like the night before, we had been um, not to like sketchy Bourbon Street, but just shy of sketchy Bourbon Street. And somebody drove down, down, downtown and had the gun that shoots like the water beads. And we all got shot with water beads. So like, what you didn't know is that we were already like hyper, like, oh my God, we're going to die in New Orleans because like we've been shot with the water bead the night before. And I was like, we're fine. This is fine. (laughs) (laughs) And then this lady, this crazy lady, (laughs) flagged you down. Oh my God. The things that happened at Asha. <laughs> Duh. Well, that was my goal at Asha. Believe it or not, my my goal at Asha was to meet you. <laughs> I was good. I was, well, no, I, I have to be honest here because, you know, I, and I told you this before, I'm a total girl fan. And your, your seminar changed my uh, my practice completely 100% way back and when and I saw it when you first made it and just getting that whole picture you know of of the kids and understanding GI it, it took me down a rabbit hole with GI that I am still exploring 
I, I, it had never occurred to me things like constipation, you know, what? how would that be? But once I took that class, it just changed everything. So I've, I've been following you in a way. I mean, I feel like, oh my gosh, uh, I, I hope she doesn't think I'm stalking her. But a couple of years ago, so I had a student, right? And she, it was kind of my errand. She, she, she knew social media. I don't know social media. Uh, I wish she was still here for me because maybe she'd be able to catch me up on it. So, Sarita, I love you dearly. She, one day she came into the clinic and she says to me, have you listened to First Bite? And I said, what? And she said, it's a podcast. And I go, I don't know what a podcast is. <laughs> I said, I don't have an iPod. And she goes, no, 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 you don't need an iPod. And and so she set me up. We set it up on my radio and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I started listening and going, oh, my gosh, because you had the stuff on allergies and all of that. And that got me down another rabbit hole, which I just adore. And so anyway, I am a longtime fan, so I can't believe I'm on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I, that is, I, I, thank you. Aaron says I need to learn to take compliments well and not in, go self-deflecting, self-deprecation humor, but this is my MO. So thank you. Thank you. But um, I know that MO well. Yes. Yes. Also, like, it's kind of funny to me how, how richly blessed this has been and how many faux pas I've made, like thinking that I'm using the right word that's like culturally like in the trend right but I think my biggest one and I can say it now and own it one time I was like yeah like FOMO their fear of missing out but I said FUPA instead of FOMO and I will never let that down <laughs> so, like, I mean you live and you learn and then you know that there's that, yes so like oh, you didn't but you said FUBA. I said FUPA, which means something totally not a FOMO. And like, oh, do the Google afterwards. Don't do it now. But like, thank God for students making us aware of things larger than us. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Also, this week, Goose came home from school and he goes, Mom, what is sus? They said sus. Like something was very sus. And I was like, I have no idea what that means. And then I got worried. Like, what is he hearing at school? And then Bear, the little one, he goes, you people are not cool. It means suspicious. And I was like, oh, I'm glad that our eight-year-old could translate that for us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I digress. Okay. So you have, folks, we have to, we have to talk about you, Barbara, because like you're an actress and then became a linguistics major with concentration in neurology and then a speech pathologist with a concentration in neurology. And yet you work in rural Washington and have to do probably all of the above. So like, also, is it beautiful there? Is, does it really rain there as much as I think that it rains there? It does. Yes. It does. No. <laughs> Our summers are amazing. Our summers are truly amazing, but uh, you, the rest of the year, if you have sad, which yes. I admit that I have, it is not. It is not fun. Yes, sad folk stands for seasonal affect disorder. Yes, yes. Oh, I am intimately aware with the sad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how did you become a speech pathologist? Oh boy, very roundabout. So, as you said, 
I was an actor, uh, an actor singer, and I started singing at like weddings and church services, you know, special services and things like that as a teenager. And so I kind of just fell into keep going with that when it came to college. And I started out with singing and stuff. Long story short, I ended up going into more of the acting than the singing. And my first husband, we ended up moving to Michigan after living in LA for five years because he decided he wanted to go back to school. And that's where he was from. And so I spent 30 years in Michigan or well, 25 years in Michigan as an actress doing uh, stage, film, uh, all sorts of everything. But how did I get to this? What ended up happening was my daughter, I, I went back to school because I didn't, I hadn't finished my, my bachelor's. And my daughter was of an age where she needed to be in a preschool while I was at school. And this particular, this one particular university had a, a developmental daycare there on the campus and a preschool. And then even a, it went into kindergarten because they have, that's one of their programs. And so you've got your students in there plus the teachers. So it's really cool. The kids got a really good yes. job. And so one of the classes I had to take was I had the choice of either um, I had to get, you know, those basic things done. I had to either take a year of foreign language or I had to take a linguistics course, an intro to linguistics. And it was just one semester versus two. And I went, oh, I'm taking the one semester course. I can make it through anything. And I went, oh, this is going to be horrible, but I'm going to do this. Okay. I fell in love. I loved the linguistics course. Oh my goodness, I couldn't believe it. And at the time I had, my niece had, had recently been born and she was Down syndrome. And so I was looking at all this stuff and I'm going, oh my gosh, I need to learn more about when la language is different, when kids are different. And so I started taking more courses and then I ended up with a minor in it. And then they, they asked me and they, cause I was starting to tutor students and um, they said, you need to be a grad student. And I went, well, look at that. My daughter can continue on in this school and she can go, you know, another year and then into preschool and I get my master's. So I did all of this master's work, but then a divorce happened just as I was about to finish uh, my master's work. And rather than do my paper, I went to a job so that I could pay the bills and for my daughter and myself. So I never got to finish that master's degree. So I have two years of all this grad work, but no master's degree. And, and that went on to the back burner for years. And I kept working as an actor with some straight jobs on the side. And then I got bored. And I also, I started looking around me and I started feeling very much like, like I needed to give back. Uh, I felt very, oh, I, I, I can't even think of the word right now, but I just needed to give back. And I, and I decided I needed to go back to school and I started asking around and I, I thought I'm going to be a PT. Yeah. Okay. Because, well, no, 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 because I've always been an athlete and I thought I'll go back to PT school. And I asked a friend of mine who's a PT. <laughs> Sorry. And she said, Barbara, you're of an age where you need PT. 
you do not want to be schlepping. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Megan, thank you for that. Uh, she said, with all of your background and with your acting and everything else, why are you not looking at speech pathology? And I said, I don't want to work at a school. And she goes, oh, yeah. no, 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 no. All speech pathology, there are, there are places that really need you. And she's in rural Washington on the other side of the mountains. And I went, oh, well, I'll check it out. So basically what I did is I did my GRE stuff. And then I applied and I said, well, if they take me, it was meant to be. If they don't, it wasn't. And they took me. So that was the beginning. And I just, once I started the journey, I was just over, head over heels in love with it and have never looked back other than every so often I'll look at my PT colleagues and I'll go, I want to be you. Can I be you and me together? Because I want to do all of that body stuff too. (laughs) Perception, hold on. Perception, action, approach. You need to pull it up. You need to see it. I will text it to you. Perception, action, approach. Actually, wait. The podcast episode came out two weeks ago, four weeks ago on April 5th. That episode came out. And it is Kyla Romeo, who's the OT with Feeding Matters, her and a PT, Charlene Fragosny. Fragosny. That's, yeah, I got to put that. SZ combo in it. They created this and it is literally how you overlap OTPT speech and actually cue the body into movement. And SLPs can get trained and get a certificate in this course. Yes. Yes. I know. I know. It's amazing. It's on my bucket list. Yes. Sorry. Connecting the dots in my head. Yes. Perfect. But yes. But you're right. But like, that's just, you hit PFD on the head. We can't just do the one. We need the OT, we need the PT. We need their knowledge in order to like assess these kids. So, okay. Also, what side of the mountain are you in Washington? Are you like east or west or? Okay. So, well, there's more than one set of mountains in Washington. So there are two mountain ranges here. There's the Cascades and there's the Olympics. So if you were to, to make Washington to in an, into a fist, okay, the peninsula here, you know, you talk, you've heard about the ferries with Washington. Yeah. yeah. I live on the peninsula. This is where the Olympic mountains are. So this is rural. <laughs> people, people from Seattle come across on a ferry to come here. Yes, they can drive around and come up, but most of them come across on a ferry. And then we have islands in here, the San Juan Islands. And oh, wow. some people live on the islands too. And one of my dreams is there's a pediatrician here who's talking about going onto the islands like once a month kind of thing, because there is not enough uh, pediatric stuff there. And my my best friend PT and I want to join her once a month to go on to the island and uh, one of the islands that she's going to go to and uh, help with infants with feeding and stuff. Amazing. So amazing. Okay. So I have so many questions for you. Like there's, there's so many different ways that we can take this because what you're talking about is let's start there. Let's start there and then move in. You, you graduate, you have this degree and you're 
did you, at that time, you're living in a rural area where you're kind of, well, that time I'm living in, at that point I'm living in Michigan. Okay. And so then um, how did you go from Michigan? You, okay. Well, I know how you went, but that was a sidebar earlier conversation. <laughs> what ended up happening? I, I was born and raised in, in Washington and I ended up in the Midwest with my first husband, but then I got remarried in the Midwest and he was from there. So we stayed. And of course, my daughter was going to school and I wanted to keep some, you know, consistency in her life. Mm -hmm. By this time, she's grown up and out of the house, so I'm not worried about it. But anyway, I came back because my parents were aging and it was time to come home. And I was fortunate enough that I got this job out on the peninsula hospital at this wonderful multidisciplinary outpatient pediatrics clinic that's hooked up to the hospital. And I because it's rural, I ended up doing everything and two days a week. Now this is where I did my CF and I kept going. So two days a week in adult acute care and three days a week in outpatient pediatric, you know, multidisciplinary. So I, I was so fortunate and I, and I thank my lucky stars every single day. I learned in the trenches with these extraordinarily skilled and experienced pediatric OTs and PTs who had been working with the most medically impacted babies and kids for years. And so I got to learn all about the body. You know, I got to have somebody tell me, uh, Barb, if you notice, he can talk when he's sitting, but he can't when he's walking. We've got a kid who's got, you know, who, who doesn't have enough core strength to hold it all together when they're moving to move, to talk. So it was like, oh, okay. So how do we work this? And and the OT would come over and she'd help me find a position that would that they were completely supported. So all of a sudden their jaw could move. And so I'd learned this first about all of the the communication stuff. And then all of a sudden the feeding stuff started coming in more and more. And unfortunately, the challenge of being in a hospital environment, especially now, but even then, productivity. Yes. So there is a beautiful, beautiful SLP who was my CF person. And because of productivity and everything else, she could never really be a mentor. There was no time. So I never had mentorship other than, uh, you know, the kind of the required what she had to do, not because she wouldn't have done more, but there was no more other time. So I would kind of peek whenever I could to, to watch her because she's so good. But I did have more time actually with my PTs and OTs because they were oftentimes in the same treating space. And I would learn from them as I went. And I just, I learned so much. But I was talking about this the other day on SIG 13. One of the things I also learned as I got better as a speech pathologist working on all of my swallow stuff and dysphagia with my acute care was I knew swallow and they didn't. I really know swallow and not just aspiration, but the whole process, how that tongue moves a bolus and, and what we do with our cheeks and our jaw and, you know, 
how we pull that bolus back and yes. how some people have a lateral swallow and it's uncontrolled and all of these different things. And because I was working with all of these neurologically impacted adults, I was looking at their stuff and then I was starting to apply it to the kids. And I'm watching the OTs work only in sensory and, and thinking that that's going to work. And, and yet I'm watching the kid's mouth and I'm going, oh, wait a minute wait a minute, we've got more going on here than sensory. Something's going on. And and then taking your course, I got more information. And then I started taking more and more and more and more because I couldn't get the information within my work. Okay. So can you hold on one second? Folks, you can't absorb this in, the, in a semester long class either. Oh, this is... One of the biggest barriers to baseline skills within pediatric feeding disorder is that one, it's not a required course in students' academic criteria, like coursework, right? They have a dysphagia class, but you just have to put a little bit of peds in that dysphagia class. And that's the bare minimum, according to our national standards or our academic accreditation standards at this moment in time. But then if you do have an optional pediatric feeding disorder course, it's still so much knowledge that we can't put it in in one semester. And then our field between NICU up to like 18 is so vast and there's so much skill set. But then you can't just focus on the speech pathology courses. You have to pull the your your material from all that you have to engage in interprofessional education in order to get to interprofessional education. Okay. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Yes. Continue. I'm so sorry. Well, and, and you know what? I finally just took Marsha Dunn-Klein's course this last this Amazing. fall. And it kind of put the bow on all of my different things. It was fabulous. Yes. But what ended up happening at the hospital is I started getting more and more feeding kids. And first... I had this one child who was working with, with OT and she was just giving him an, a, she was giving him the, the vibrator and basically sticking him in a seat to work on his core stuff. And he was to use the vibrator to see if he could get his tongue moving. And I can't remember if I, what course I'd just taken, but I was looking at that and I was going, mm, not enough. And <laughs> Also, the face is awake. We don't need to vibrate it awake. It's already awoke. <laughs> so I he ended up on my caseload and they asked that uh, it was for communication, but they also asked me to look at feeding because, but they were looking at it from the aspiration aspect. So all of a sudden I had an in because aspiration SLP. And that's how it was at that point. It, only if it was aspiration did it end up on the SLP's desk. And so I was watching him and I was going, oh, we need to change X, Y, Z. And I started playing with his mouth and, and we're, we're working on, and I'm not talking about playing with it with toys, but things like dipping a, a veggie straw in something and putting it on and helping him put it on the side so that his tongue would get over there to want to taste it. Teaching him how, because he was low tone and teaching him how to keep chewing on something that he really liked a strip of very, very hard beef jerky because he was happy to chew on that. Let me tell you. And if he bring it over to the side that was the stronger side and just bring his hand back over and we work on that side. And 
you know, things like that. And I, I just, I kept getting more and more kids who I did not have the skill set for. I did not have the information. And so I took more and more classes. And I just take, kept reaching out for more classes. And I don't think there is, you know, I've, I've got next to me all of my, my books. I've got AEIOU there. I've got Can Eat. I've got all of these different books because I've gone through all of the programs. And SOS, I've gone through all of the programs. But yours started me down a whole body, hole, you know, rabbit hole. Looking at the fact that maybe after they swallowed, that's where the problem was. Because I was seeing these kids who we weren't, who weren't aspirating and, and they were chewing, you know, they had the ability to chew, but you know, they really were avoiding certain foods and I, you know, you'd work on the mouth and you'd work and it wouldn't go any further. And it's like, why is this not going any further? And then you start watching them and they'd swallow and their eyes would go, and you're going, wait a minute buggy eyes. What's going on here? And so then I started looking at the esophagus Uh Uh and taking uh, taking classes on the esophagus. And Melanie Potok got me going down a rabbit hole with that because she had just gone on to the the National Eosinophilic Awareness site and they had had um, every summer they have a couple days of a conference and she had taken this thing and was telling me all of this wonderful information I said oh I got to get it you know from the horse's mouth and so I started taking these things and learning more about things like esophagitis and in my adult side I did MBSs okay and I still do MBSs. And one of the things that was so fortunate is in my hospital, because nobody has enough time because everybody's doing yes. 16 different things because we're rural and there aren't enough people. Uh, the radiologists do not want to have anything to do with our swallow studies. They just watch the film afterwards and go aspirated, didn't aspirate, nothing more than that. So I'm so glad they can bill like a billion dollars for that contribution. <laughs> Well, but the other thing is GI is so slammed in our area. GI wants us to look at the esophagus during our, yes, that they want. Yes, I that's know. amazing. I know. They want an esophageal sweep. And so I am used to, to taking somebody, turning them AP, and watching the food go down and seeing if we've got dysmotility, seeing if there's something in there that looks like it might be a stricture, seeing something in there that go, makes you go, ooh, I think we've got achalasia. Now, I cannot diagnose those things. I know I cannot diagnose those things, but I can see them and say, this is suggestive of and send them on to the right person, right? Yes. And This is literally best practice. When you look at the American Academy of Radiology's position statement on modified barium swallow studies, they are to include the esophagus. However, historically across the country, SLPs can't because if a radiologist were to actually come in and participate in it, they can bill for an esophagram scan. 
However, if we look at best practice on paper, you're living best practice. You're doing what we should be able to do. And the fact that that's anomaly is heartbreaking, but at the same time, you're living the dream. That's amazing. But I can't do it with pediatrics because I don't do it. No, well, that's the challenge because we're an adult that we only do the adults there. We send to Seattle Children's or to Marybridge for our swallow studies and they don't, I'm not sure what the, what the policies are, et cetera. But when I've asked for a views, I've never been able to really get them, but I just hooked up with one of the SLPs there. And by the time this plays, I'll have already seen this. I'm going to go in with this little girl and we are going to get a, an AP view finally, because I have argued and argued and argued. But as a side note, at ASHA this last year, did you go to the master's class on? No. Okay. No, because we had a family situation. Sir Dr. Bubblebutt bit Hammy's face off and their hamster brothers and the eight-year-old found him that morning and there was waterworks and a cremation in the front yard and the whole nine yards. And so my husband called and I ended up from New Orleans talking my eight-year-old down from the emotional cliff because also they don't know that it was hamster side. The going story is that he just flew too hard off of the spinning wheel, but um, it, it was... I'm sorry, I didn't oh. laugh, but it was like the the child's version of it. And then my husband was like, oh my God. <laughs> so like I ended up FaceTiming my children and working through. So I missed the master's class and Hammy has been cremated and his ashes scattered to the wind. And we now have a hamster uh, ornament on our Christmas tree, but we're going to make it. So I missed the master's class. <laughs> So um, the master's class this year was with a radiologist and the whole thing was talking about where the borders are. Oh, you froze, darling. Oh, Barb, you froze. It's okay. You said the master's class was with the radiologist? Yes. And it was about where the the lines are. Okay. Should we be including uh, a sweep? And... After there was much discussion, and it was pretty obvious that they did not want us including a sweep of any kind, I asked for the mic because they were passing the mic around and asking questions. And I said, well, except (laughs) we need this because, and I said, you guys are just putting liquid through. I need to see what happens with a child when I put a solid through and why their eyes are bugging out. I said, I need to know if I give them a solid and I make it a little moister, if it'll work. I need to know if I alternate solids and and liquids, if that makes it comfortable. I need to know if this doesn't work, but this does work, and then try to figure out why. I I need that information to make it more comfortable. And the response was, well, it doesn't matter to me. This is the radiologist just talking. He said, if it takes 11 seconds or it takes 20 seconds for that bolus to travel down, if it's within normal limits on the, it doesn't matter to me. That's within normal limits. So I, you know, why does your information matter? I'm sorry. 
what the hey? But it, it, I, I, and, and that's, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it perfectly, but that was the basic gist. And I, and I'm going, well, it makes a huge difference because it can make the difference between my child having three foods that they will eat and having six, because I might be able to take this food and modify it just enough to make it another food and, and to expand it. And I was, you know, I was ignored, but I think because everybody's on the adult side, you know, and this guy was not a pediatric person, so he's not looking at it the same way, but the esophagus is so important and the food going into how it enters the stomach, all of this is so, so important, you know, and we've got to include that in our knowledge set. And we've got to include the understanding, and this is what I learned from you at the beginning, was you have to include poop. And uh, (laughs) yes, you do. And, you know, the Bristol poop scale is one of my favorite things. And I take it out and I show it to my families all the time. And, you know, they will not think their child is constipated. And then I show them rabbit poop and they go, oh, yeah, that's it. And it's like constipation. It's not just my opinion. This is official. Yes. You know, and when you start talking to them about the fact that, you know, it's all one long tube with just some vowels, uh, some valves along the way. And if it's if we think about it as just plumbing, once the plumbing gets full, it starts backing up and we can't put anything down. And, you know, with our little littles, if it gets backed up enough, they just vomit. and. I had the perfect, the perfect example a little while ago, and it was an awful example, but at the same time, it was perfect. And this mom is fine with me sharing it. A little tubey gal. And I had warned mom, I had said, you know, we've got some constipation going, we have to get her cleaned out, or this is not going to, you know, she's going to have problems. And mom was listening and nodding, but she didn't like, you know, doing the Miralax. She didn't like doing all of these things. And one day she went in to put in the feed and it was three and a half hours later and she opened the valve and it spurted out the food spurted out because it was all still there because it couldn't go down. So I was trying to explain to my graduate students last week about why a um, Nissen fin duplication is not current best practice after G2 placement. And, okay, so folks, if you're not familiar with the Nissen fin duplication, in different parts of the country, it's called a Nissen for short. In other parts, it's called a Fundo or fin duplication for short, but it's actually one word, Nissen fin duplication. And what they do with this procedure is they take the top portion of your stomach and wrap it around and recreate your lower esophageal sphincter, not for the purpose of like bariatric weight loss, but for the purpose of preventing um, gastroesophageal reflux disease and gastric contents from coming back up through the esophagus. Okay. On the surface, that sounds great. Sounds in theory like this is going to work beautifully. However, some of the common side effects are that it uh, relaxes rather quickly. So it's not like a permanent fix strictures can actually develop above the surface of the uh, nissenfen duplication. Also, it does not stop GERD. You have not. Well, and it's also 
be too yes, tight. Yes, and it can be too tight so that the bolus can't go through. Yes, but it doesn't stop GERD. GERD is a proton pump producing activity. So you're not actually neutralizing or addressing it at the cellular level. And if you have GERD, it increases the likelihood that you can have other neurological or complications within the GI tract. And I've had so many patients that have had the nissenbaum duplication done, and then they get like the flu or a stomach bug or something doesn't agree with their stomach and they are incapable of of vomiting. They can't throw up afterwards. So because the the Nissen's been placed. So then these families have to open the the G tube site and actually and if they're if they're trying to retch that diaphragmatic contraction, it shoots out of the G tube site or they have to pull it out. And it has the vomit smell because it's acrid, it's been in there. But these are things that as speech pathologists, when we go and we're doing treatments, if I have a, if I have a tubi friend, I try to time my therapy interventions with the initiation of their feeds, because a lot of times when they go to vent at first and they vent that G-tube site, if there's residuals in there and like it's, you know, like if they put the syringe in and they go to vent, if you're getting a lot of residuals and it's pulling and you're getting like millimeters that equate to ounces, we probably also have the concern for delayed gastric emptying, delayed GI motility, and we don't need to be adding in when we're already pulling out. But like those are things that are, these are things that our GI counterparts know, that our pediatric nurses know, especially the ones that are, you know, assisting with feeds. But where do we find this information as speech language pathologists? Right? Like that's, Yep. Well, you see, mm. that's where you've been my goddess. Yep. <laughs> I've been called a smart ass and a badass. I haven't been called that one before. Thank you. <laughs> you got me going. Okay. And now I'm poking my nose in everybody's business. <laughs> but we should be. But that's why you are the SLP swallow detective. Also, she's got the emoji. She's like the Sherlock Holmes, but like the lady Sherlock Holmes. But like that's but that's what we should be doing. We have to engage in that in that deep dive into what else is this? But how are you doing this in rural peninsula Washington? Well, you know, that's what one of the reasons that I just have to I have to do so much con ed because I, I, I am more or less on my own to teach myself. I have had to teach myself. Do you have at your hospital access to a pediatric GI or is it adults only? Like in your re- how far away how far away is the most like how far do these families have to travel for pediatric specialists? They have to take a ferry from <laughs> Yep, across Puget Sound to Seattle and to Seattle Children's, or they have to drive down around the bottom of the peninsula to Tacoma to Marybridge, and there are is GI there. But the challenge is that's two spaces, okay, for not just our peninsula people, but all of the people on the mainland 
who are, you know, that's Seattle and environs has gotten very, very populated. And so there's lots and lots of people. I, generally for my patients to get into yeah. CGI, it's at least six months. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's awful. It's absolutely awful. Uh, I mean, right now for, to get, to see a developmental specialist for ASD, which of course is a completely different thing, minimum of a year. I've had kids waiting 18 months and come on, come on. What does, where does that put us developmentally? That's we're missing all these windows. Also, where does that put us from like a trauma informed care lens where like all these kids are developing these terrible associations with experiences and foods and oh that's and that's why hmm. you know I work really hard to to make my reports as detailed and but medical as possible because I want the pediatricians to understand exactly what's going on and why this is impacting these kids and how it's impacting the families too because of course the big thing about PFD and and this was the reason for the book is it's not just the kid it's the whole family unit and and here's another reason why I I keep doing a deep dive and everything I can find is all the families that would come into my office in tears we have been to XYZ. We have seen this this therapist and that therapist. And some of these kids, um, I mean, I have one family that's working with um, Feeding Matters with, you know, their mentor program with another family. Oh, it's been so much fun. Yeah. Um, the power of two. It's amazing. And it's free. Folks, if you're listening and you're new to this, Feeding Matters has a program called The Power of Two, where one caregiver will mentor another caregiver for free. And it's like a been there, done that, this worked, this didn't work. Also, while we're there to set you for success, the National Foundation of Swallowing Disorders for free once a month, it's normally the second or third Thursday in the evening, they have a virtual support group where caregivers can log on and it's the link is available on the NFOSD. That's their acronym. That's their Instagram and Facebook handle. And you can find it right there. And the caregivers can log on and um, build each other up and get some guidance and recommendations without receiving medical advice. Do you see like it's a fine line? Yes. Yes. All right. Continue. I'm sorry. I just wanted to. Yes. So the caregivers have the power of two. Yes. And. I just had so many people coming in and crying because nobody's helped us. Nobody, you know, uh, it's still the same. Or uh, we'd add three three foods for X amount of time and then it would go away. And so oftentimes these were behavioral approaches. And the problem with a behavioral approach is if there's an underlying medical problem, which most, most of these kids have, either medical or maybe it's oral motor, it could be simple as that, it's not going to stick because we haven't taken care of the real problem. But these families are so traumatized and it takes so long to get them to trust me too, you know, and I just lay it out for them at the beginning and I say, yes. I hear you. I've been here with other families. I talk them through the kinds of things we're going to do and work together and 
I'm pleased to know that my several of my families that have moved out of the area, we, we continue to be in contact. I have um, several families who still contact me and ask for help. And I can just give them little, you know, little things here and there. But anyway, one of the things, we are near a naval base, okay? And we have an army base too. And so we get a lot of families that are going in and out. They're only here for a few months or they're here for six months or here for a year. But they don't have a lot of consistency. And I had this one mom who we had done so much and his, her son had come so far and she was crying because they were moving. And she said, I have to spend the next three months with my mother-in-law while my husband is deployed with my kids and she doesn't believe this is a thing. And she's going to, she's going to try force feeding and she's going to be she's going to be yelling at me and da 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 and and so I was online and I was do, googling and I was looking for all of these books trying to find something to give her, you know. And there was nothing out there, absolutely nothing out there that that talked about the journey. Yes, there's Daniel Tiger and you know taste this food and that kind of stuff, but it wasn't the journey. And so. A friend of mine, uh, somebody I went to school with at uh, in Michigan, she had just written a book uh, for apraxia, and she is just this lovely, lovely, lovely human. And Maureen and I were talking because awesome. I was com- congratulating her on her book. And what, what is her book? Oh, she's got oh, she's got a couple out. They're both apraxia books, and I'm going to look here. Billy Gets Talking, Preschooler's Journey, Overcoming Childhood Apraxia of Speech, and Let's Get Talking, A Speech Language Companion for a Child's First Functional uh, Words. Oh, this is precious. Yes, fabulous. And so I had just bought Billy because I found out it was out, and, and I went, oh! Oh, this is wonderful. This is what I we need for feeding. And she said, so write it. And I said, yeah, I could do that. But I can't illustrate it. She said, sure you can. I learned how to draw so I could do mine. And I said, oh, you don't understand. <laughs> I don't draw. You don't understand. I am lucky if I make stick figure, figures that aren't, uh, you know, that are above the level of a three-year-old. I, I really am. <laughs> I can't draw. And anyway, long story short, she agreed to be my illustrator. And Maureen is a very, very soft heart, a very lovely human being. And doing my book, actually, when doing some of the pictures in it, actually caused her trauma because she said, I, I have a very hard time drawing these kids, making fun of another kid. And I said, I know, I understand, but this is the journey. This is what they, these kids are living and they, and we need to say it. We need to show it. And I have trouble having this mom be angry with this child. Uh, yeah, I know. This is what's, uh, what's in my office every day. And I've got, uh, we need to show people. And so that's why I wrote it. And yes. some of these quotes, some of the quotes that, you know, there's this one page that's all about 
the things people say to a mom. Things like, oh, he'll eat when he's hungry. Kids won't starve themselves. We've heard that from pediatricians, right? Yes. I like the the family member who say who says, bring him to my house. I'll get him to eat. That's, you know, I had one kid that would hide underneath of the table and, and say, don't hit, don't hit. And apparently the grandfather would take a belt and threaten to like pop him and would take his leather belt and threaten to pop him if he refused to eat. And he would crawl under the table because the grandfather wasn't mobile because of his health conditions and the child was out of arm's reach. It's Mm -hmm horrific what these families hear. And it's, I mean, I had one particular family. It was very interesting. And they're one of the reasons for the book too. And she's probably listening. So she she will know this story. But we had started uh, therapy and her little girl was traumatized. Mom had been trying so hard with a bottle, but it was really force feeding. And I was trying to get her to, to back off. And, and of course she was terrified that her daughter was gonna starve to death. And I totally understood that. But one of the first things for us was getting her out of the seat yes. because the seat for her was trauma. Yes. So um, her dad is, she just, she's a daddy's girl. And her dad was this, it is this wonderfully um, warm guy. And I got them all sitting on the floor. And uh, I said, let's make a picnic out of this. And she is going to be, uh, the way we're going to support her, because she's very, very floppy, low tone, is dad, you're going to sit like an Indian and she's going to sit between your legs. And she, of course, loved that. And she was completely supported and beautiful. And we were able to work on things this way. And all of a sudden she was willing to explore and willing to try and and touch and all of these different things and oh she loved pickles slices of pickles (laughs) gnawing on pickles but they had to go away at one point they had they had to go down to madigan which is the the armed forces hospital and they have a wonderful program there with gi and stuff and i have gotten we now work together it's really good. But at that point, they went down and they had to see the whole GI team and the SLP they saw at the time. And I don't know who it was, but of course, they explained to her that they were sitting on the floor doing this picnic style. And she went, your SLP is sitting you on the floor. <laughs> yeah. And they came back and they came back and they're like, um, we're not sure that this is really best practice. And da, 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 and, you know, and I went, I understand. And I said, and normally it isn't best practice. I would like to see her in a high chair. I'd love to see her in a feeding seat. I said, but that's trauma for her. Yes. So we're going to, this is best practice (laughs) for her. Best practice is getting away from that and allowing her to be safe, allowing her to know that this thing that has been so scary for her can be within an environment of love, within an environment where she is playing and it's joyful and her parents are not stressed. And and they sat there and they listened to me and they relaxed again. And ever since then, we never had a, you know, there was never any question again because they recognized that for this child, it was going to be her own journey. It was not going to be somebody else's journey. 
Yes. And that's why I wrote the book because we need to know that everybody's journey is different. We need to know yes. that all of these outside voices, those aren't the important voices. Yes. The important voices are heart listening to the people who are supporting us, not the people who are cutting us down, that we need people on our, our team who are there to help us be our best, who are, help, who are there to help us help our child best, not the people who um, check off boxes. Yes. That is not, that's not what we do. No, or who engage in medical gaslighting. Because I see that, I see that all too often where, and what you, the scenario you just gave is kissing cousins with medical gaslighting. That is where our physicians, our medical specialists put into our caregivers' heads that it's something that they're doing, that it this is behavioral, they're not taking serious the signs and symptoms that we're bringing to the table that we want to discuss and and the parents walk away thinking guilt guilt shame and by parents i mean caregivers in general they carry all of this with them which is how they get to the point where they're in your office they're in or i'm in their home and they're a bubbling hot mess like that's this is how that occurs your book does a beautiful job of meeting the caregivers where they are on their journey. And, and that's what we have to do. We have to meet them where they are. And, and we do have to be respectful of the known trauma that we know they've gone through and the unknown and, and the power of a second opinion. And on that note, Feeding Matters does have scholarships that they offer throughout the year. And those scholarships help caregivers get to either via transportation or offset like medical costs for second opinion. And I've had little ones travel to um, Cincinnati Children's Hospital. I mean, that's a bit of a stretch from the peninsula of Washington, but to go from Florida to Cincy, it's not, I mean, it's closer, but like, those exist. Yeah. Yes. Well, Seattle Children's is wonderful. And Marybridge is wonderful. You know, it depends on your providers, uh, I think, uh, everywhere we go. You know, I, I happen to love uh, a lot of what Chalk is doing in, yes. in California, Southern California. And I've gone down to their conferences and learned a lot um, GI down there because they really pull their GI in. Okay, wait, tell me your favorite interprofessional practice conferences that you've gone to where you're like, this is good information. And I know there's some where the conference is good, but maybe there was one or two presenters where you're like, retro Houston, but like, what, give me the good ones. Chalk is my absolute favorite. And that's Children's Hospital of Orange County. And that has been my favorite. There's also one, anything that Baylor does, they've been some wonderful things that include responsive feeding. Their nutritionists will come in, their RDs and GI. There's also one through Texas. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I'm I think it's I'm not sure which Texas it is, which which hospital. I'll have to send it to you. 
matter of fact, I'm, I'm watching their GI conference this weekend. Uh, Saturday is a GI conference. <laughs> I'm so excited. I love my GI conferences. <laughs> Wait, did you know there's a GI podcast? No. Oh, my God. Okay, it's called Bow Sounds. <laughs> it's called Bow Sounds. I'm not sure if you can see it. It's called Bow Sounds. It's by NASCAN. Um, North American, oh, this picture is too small. It's by NASCAN. And it's got like, it's a pediatric GI podcast. And it's phenomenal. So also, I just like that they named it Bow Sounds. I just think that's really funny. And you can find them on the land of the Instagram as well, because they talk, they like talk about what upcoming episodes are coming out. But that's, that's a good one. Oh, I will definitely. Oh, my new one and so that means i'll be coming home and talking to my husband while he's while he's preparing for dinner <laughs> he, he will so often look at me over the table and go barbara we are eating my husband i i'm i right now i'm recording at the kitchen table my husband sits on my right and goose sits across from me and then bear sits on my left and bear and i are like the nerdy anatomy ones in the family and when we get to talking about it christian's like Baby, baby, can we not talk about poop while we're eating? And Goose is like, yeah, I just can't do this. <laughs> and Bear's like, but I have so many questions. And I'm like, wait, we'll, we'll circle back around, babes. But like, I, I don't know. It's really funny. Every once in a while, I get a text message of a picture of some kid's poop. And the mom is like, does this look okay? And Goose, without skipping a beat, will look over my shoulder. And he's like, they need a second opinion. <laughs> and I'm like, you, you're 10. Shush. But the fact that my 10-year-old can look at a turd and know that like, that's not normal. <laughs> I'm like, and he's so grossed out, but he like, he knows. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Oh my God. Yeah. Might be an SLP's kid win. Might be an SLP's husband win. <laughs> well, I was talking to my husband about, about a child with uh, laryngeal malaysia the other day. And I was talking about, the, I was so angry, so angry because an ENT did not scope this child and just said, oh, yeah, from the sound, oh, they have laryngeal malaysia. They'll, they'll they'll outgrow it. First off, they didn't look. Okay, so mm, don't think the diagnosis is really a good idea that way. But they don't have x-ray vision yet. Let's go there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and after doing this, this CENTAC conference, where I got to see all of these larynx, oh, my gosh, it's so amazing, Michelle. All of these different films with all these larynxes and tracheas and oh, it was fabulous. Anyway, hearing this ENT, you know, reading this report I, I, and, and hearing from this mom, I, my jaw was on the floor and I was just dying. But I'm talking to my husband about it and he's going, it could be this or this with that sound. <laughs> oh, you have been listening. He goes, you cannot diagnose that just by sound. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Oh, I love that. Oh my God. There. I I don't know what we would do without them. Yes. Yes. Poor guy. Yes. Yes. I'm I'm sitting here giggling. There's mine. Yes. Uh, uh, you guys, my Mr. Dawson just snuck into the kitchen to uh, make himself a snack. So, like, you know, these this is real life podcast recording right here. We're talking about food and poop, and uh, <laughs> but uh, Barbara, we we have joyfully run over in the most wonderful way. This was to cover 
to set PFD month off with all of the interprofessional practice partners we need to work with to about why we engage in IPP, about like the barriers for rural SLPs and, and you gave strategies for how to overcome and resources and how your journey culminated and Tyler takes a taste to help build them up when they're heartbroken. Like this is, this is why we do what it is that we do all with the mindset of helping to heal. So if someone's listening and they have questions for you, how can they reach you? you they can reach me on my Instagram, which is, let's see, what did you tell me? It's SLP.SwallowDetective. Yeah. So you can reach out to me there anytime. I will tell you, I am not good at social media. I need somebody young to come show me how to do this. I am sure if you put an all call for help, somebody will want the mentorship and trade mentorship for Instagram support. I will, I will <laughs> happily trade mentorship for Instagram support. If somebody can help me figure out how to do posts, I, uh, they take me so long, I just can't do them yes. because I don't have that time. But if somebody will, do, oh, that, or if they want to help me with my website, because I'm starting some private practice, uh, I've been going out into the community, I, oh, I will trade mentorship for, for helps with graphics. I am there. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh my God. Y'all, I mean, she's, and she's good peeps and well-versed and has a heart of gold. So there it is. Now, if somebody has extra love money, now I know it's the beginning of the month and normally my grandma's budget always allocated love money at the end of the month. But if somebody has extra love money at the end of this month and they want to make a support or a donation, what organization would you recommend? I am always all about feeding matters. They have made such a difference in the lives of my families. I've sent several families to them, like I said, for the mentoring and just being able to go and find there's somebody else, somebody else going through that, which is what the book is all about, you know, knowing somebody else is going through that, but to actually be able to talk to somebody and watch some films. Oh, people come back to the office and they cry all over again because they're not alone. Yes. Happy tears. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We need that. Yes. Okay, folks. Feeding Matters, also Feeding Matters, thank you so very, very, very much for making May Pediatric Feeding Disorder Awareness Month. And folks, don't forget that June is Dysphagia Awareness Month. So, and they intimately go hand in hand. So, Barbara, thank you for kicking off PFD Awareness Month, for not being a mugger, for joyfully calling for us in New Orleans, and for sending me a copy of your book. I am so grateful for y'all. And Folks, make sure you take a peek at Tyler Takes a Taste. Find it on the Amazon. Give it a lovely five-star review when you're done reading it. And hit us up on uh, First Bite Podcast on Instagram. Uh, We love it when you leave a kind review and kind words there. And Barbara, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am just thrilled beyond belief. Feeding Matters guide system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the alliance? It's you. 
The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Hey, so it's Michelle Dawson here, and I need to lay out my disclosure statements. So uh, if you ever wondered how bad my ADD, ADHD, and lack of sleep Monday through Monday actually as well. Here you go. These are my non-financial disclosure statements. I volunteer with Feeding Matters. I'm a former treasurer with the Council of State Association Presidents. I'm a past president with the South Carolina Speech Language Hearing Association. I am a current member of both ASHA and SCISHA. And for this year, for 2021, I volunteered for the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Planning Committee for the ASHA 2021 convention. My financial disclosures. All right. So I receive compensation for first bite presentations, as well as talking teletherapy and understanding dysphagia from speechtherapypd.com. I also receive royalties from speechtherapypd.com for ongoing webinars that I have on their website, as well as compensation from PESI Incorporate for a lecture course that a webinar that I have on their website as well. I am coordinator for clinical education and clinical assistant professor for the Masters of Speech Language Pathology program at Francis Marion University in Florence, South Carolina, for which I receive an annual salary. I also receive royalties from the sale of my book, Chasing the Swallow, Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders that I self-published and is available on Amazon. And I do receive royalties from the accompanying 13 and a half hour CEU for the book from speechtherapypd.com. So yeah, I stay pretty busy, but those are my financial and non-financial disclosures. If you ever have any questions, please feel free to reach out. All right. Thanks, y'all. Bye. The views and opinions expressed in today's podcast do not reflect the organizations associated with the speakers and are their views and opinions solely.